believe and receive this morning. This is not prosperity doctrine. This is believe and receive as Paul preaches it. Oh, wasn't he a bit direct this morning? As he usually is. Paul certainly sees red, doesn't he? He sees red as he gets a bit riled up as these people are suggesting that following Christ, being a Christian, is not just about Christ. It's not just about faith, but it's faith plus something. Faith plus circumcision, faith plus eating the right food, faith plus hanging out with the right people, faith plus being born to the right parents and all of that. And Paul just really gets riled up and he shirt fronts them with three big ticket items. The first one, I couldn't find a picture of you know, a couple of footballers doing that chest punch thing when they shirt front each other, but this one's pretty good, eh? Well, he reminds them about these things, firstly about their own experience. He reminds them how they first become Christians, how they received the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a matter of works. It wasn't a matter of what they had done. It was a matter of faith in the risen Christ. He then talks about their scriptures. He uses the example of Abraham, doesn't he? The father of faith. He makes clear that this new way in Christ is nothing new at all. This is how it was meant to be. This is how it was for Abraham. And then he speaks to their exclusiveness. Next to Paul's definition of love, and I just love it at 1 Corinthians, isn't it amazing? Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast. And you've got to remember that Paul wasn't married a single man, and yet he's able to write the definition of love that we use today in all spheres of life. Well, these words next to those are probably his second most favourite. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Christ is the great equaliser, and it comes down to faith. Well, there are three things we're going to cover. We're going to pray, and as we wrap up today, if the Spirit, Holy Spirit is willing, then we may lean into that a little bit this morning as well. So be ready. Just be ready to receive if that's, if that's what you're seeking. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great love. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We pray your Holy Spirit is powerfully present with us this morning reminding us of, our, of your love for us and the hope that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, 6 p.m. last Tuesday night, we gather here at the front of the church for a, a, a Bible study. We, we break out the chocolates, sometimes some cookies. We open up God's Word and we're looking at John's Gospel at the moment. And we did John chapter 5. And during the day, I did a little bit of study, make sure I had my head around the passage and kind of checked its context, and it all seemed pretty straightforward. There's, Jesus makes it clear that, that he is one with God, he has equality with God, that he has the right to judge and all of that. But coming into this group and kind of reading through it together and some of the questions and discussion that came up, I really started to struggle with it. And my struggle became clear. It was, it was just that Jesus used so many words. I don't know if you read John chapter 5, it's, if you've got a red letter Bible, it's all red. It's just Jesus speaking, speaking, speaking. And I'm just there going, well, that's a whole, can't you just give it to us plain? Can't you just give it to us straight? I mean, of course, Jesus does elsewhere. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It doesn't get any straighter than that. But Paul, Paul, Paul has no such inhibitions. He just goes for it without fail. It's straight to the point. Straight away, reminding the Galatians of their experience, what happened when they first comes to faith. And he opens with this, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Jesus died. You know this. He rose from the dead. You know this. You believe it. I would like to learn just one thing from you, says Paul. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, it's a rhetorical question, isn't it? They believed when they heard. They didn't believe when they got on enough rosters, when they'd served on parish council for 30 years. They believed when they received when they believed the message they heard. And on a side note, I wonder if, if Jesus' brothers were part of this kind of deception, this false gospel, because remember James has mentioned in the last chapter, and we know that these brothers didn't believe until they saw the risen Jesus. So maybe they're kind of expecting that there needs to be something more here. Or perhaps these people were present at Pentecost. It's quite likely some of the people in the church in Galatia were present at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all people, regardless of race, previous religion, of what ethnic group they were part of. The Holy Spirit came at Peter's words of the risen Jesus. Now, clearly it's foolish to forget these things, which is exactly what Paul says next. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Let me change gears for a moment. Be a bit less excited, although this is far more exciting. By the grace of God, I've had the privilege of being part of a number of people's journey to Christ, coming to faith in the Lord. And it is a beautiful, wonderful privilege that I don't take lightly. And it, every time it's different, every time it is special. Now, I can tell you without a doubt that in these times that the Spirit doesn't come when a person's got their life in order. The Holy Spirit doesn't come upon them when they're, when, they're, when they're saying the right things. Even this sinner's prayer that we use is just a formula. Even without that, the Holy Spirit comes. Comes as a matter of faith, not of pragmatics or even right theology. Now, I remember one person saying to me, saying to the Holy Spirit, saying to God rather, Show me you are real. And the Holy Spirit came. And they were touched in a powerful way. I remember a Muslim on one of the alphas we were doing fell to his knees and just said, Come, Holy Spirit. And the Lord fell on him in a powerful way. I remember another person saying, I want what they're having. Harry meant Sally. And the Holy Spirit came as well. The one thing that's in common is that there's no works involved. It's not what we do. There's no pledge of allegiance. There's no initiation ritual, although we do enjoy a good hazing. That was a joke, an in-joke, sorry. It is a good thing. God comes, the Holy Spirit comes as a matter of faith, not as a matter of anything we seem to get right or do on ourselves. It is as simple as Jesus says it is. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. If anything at all, at the heart of the Christian is a knowledge that we are broken. That's why we are here. We know we are broken. A knowledge that we turn from our brokenness, our sinfulness, 
and believe in the one who is without sin, the one who slowly kind of knits us back together time and time again. One might say that being a Christian, surprise, surprise, is all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we believe what saves us, what changes us, what grows us, brings us back into the presence of the Father. It is Christ plus nothing. Faith alone saves. This is not just Paul's experience. It's not my experience, not just my experience, but the experience of the Galatians as well. And that's what Paul's appealing to, reminding them of this. And then he wants to remind them of the truth of their scriptures, and he does that in verse 6. So also, Abraham, so like you, faith coming to know Christ, coming to know God as a matter of faith, well, so be it for Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, Paul, I think, is bringing this up to refute a couple of burning questions. Firstly, have they wasted all those years following the law? Have they wasted all those years? There's probably another burning question. Can we really walk alongside those who are so different from us? People of different backgrounds and nations. Or perhaps are we no longer God's chosen people if he so openly and freely includes outsiders? Well, the answer to these questions is yes and no. Yes, the escalation of the legalism manifested in the ruling class, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are the people that Jesus spoke of quite harshly. And people always say to me, oh, Jesus is so meek and loving and all that. Well, he says this to them. He says, you are whitewashed tombs. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? And my favourite, well, my favourite, I don't know if I should have a favourite kind of thing that Jesus says against these people, but if I had wanted to be this, Jesus says to them, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice the devil of hell that you are. I mean, that's pretty serious stuff. But there's also a no here. No, because faith alone is how it was in the beginning. And this is what he explains. Faith alone was the beginning. What I mean is this. The law, that's the law of Moses, introduced 430 years after Abraham, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Abraham, the father of faith, was not saved, was not righteous by his own obedience to the law. Because, I mean, we know how disobedient he was. If you remember his journey into Egypt, prostituting out his wife, calling her her sister, there are other things he did that are far from God's plan for us all. But even with these discretion, indiscretions, the law had not yet been given. That happened 430 years later. His salvation was secure in a promise, not by his good deeds, of which they were lacking. Now, the law was set as merely a guardian. This is what he talks about next. It was given as a, to a people young in the faith so they could come of age. It's a bit like the custodianship of Britney Spears. I know you all love Britney Spears. It's been a while since we've heard her music, hasn't it? Well, Britney Spears, the height of her career, she kind of fell off the rails and her father was put in charge of her estate. 
And that's how it went for some time. Now, recently, a judge decided, no, you've come of age now. You can manage your estate for yourself. Well, let me just say, don't follow her TikTok channel or whatever you want to call it, because she has well and truly fallen off the rails once again. It's not very flattering. It's a bit like what the Galatians are in danger of doing, relying on the law when they have something greater. Well, verse 23, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So these Christians, like our Brittany, they're clearly not ready for the freedom that they have in Christ. The inheritance that they're receiving is, 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 is a struggle for them. And perhaps they're falling off the rails or they're being led astray by others, which is probably the case for our Brittany too. To this, Paul says, grow up. Grow up. Stop with the exclusiveness. And I'm wrapping up now because these are perhaps, like I said, some of Paul's most famous words. Notwithstanding love is patient, love is kind. These words as he closes this chapter 3 of Galatians should bring us comfort but also challenge us. Have a look at verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you who are all children of God through faith, for all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I, I take comfort and I give thanks as I look out upon this church across the day and I do see a great diversity. Different ages, different backgrounds, some who sadly vote Labor and some who vote Liberal. No, that was a joke. Come on. Like I see a great diversity here and it is a beautiful thing. But I'm also challenged as I do see a lack of diversity too. Where are the homeless? Where are the lower class? Even young families and divorced people are thin on the ground, not to mention our First Nations people. Well, sadly, I have no answers today. Well, I do. You know I do. I always have something. I must say, though, that Christ is enough. My suggestion is that seeking diversity for diversity's sake, as is the mantra of popular culture today, the gender quotas, the choosing to employ one person over another because of skin or colour or gender, well, this is doomed to fail. I wonder what a gender higher quota would do to our building industry, what it would do to our hospitals. Well, we don't have to wonder long. We know we would have no houses and we'd have no hospitals. Diversity for diversity's sake will never work. At best, it's lip service, virtue signalling, but at the worst, it'll be disingenuous and discriminatory towards one group or another. Now, don't get me wrong, diversity is so important. I mean, that's what this passage from Paul at the end of Galatians chapter 3 is all about. But trying to get it with law and legalism is unachievable. It will never work. We can only get it. We can only receive it in Christ. In Christ, diversity is the fruit 
Our diversity is a fruit of a healthy church, of a healthy Christian country. And in this, our culture's desire for diversity doesn't come from the atheists or even the humanists. It comes as a result of our Christian heritage. That's why we desire this thing that's just out of reach. Other countries have no such desire or baggage, do they? Eventually, we're going to give up on it, though, just as we've given up on all things that have their root as a culture, that have root in the faith. The sanctity of life, marriage as Jesus defines it, and so on. The answer to diversity is Christ. It's Christ. The medieval church was split in two because the leadership wanted a works-based faith. Give us your money so we can build a church and then your relatives will be out of purgatory. I mean, that is a false gospel. It's an abomination. And the Reformation sought to take us from this works-based faith back to a word-based faith. Just as Paul says they are doing in Galatia. We're going back to the roots of our faith in Abraham. We are a word-based faith. And who is the word? Christ is the word. And the word says to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of us have come to church today and we are burdened. We are carrying a weight that is not ours. We must put it down. Allow the Holy Spirit, the water of life, to come upon us to receive his goodness, his hope, his joy. You probably all know the story of the woman at the well, excluded by law and legalism, excluded by the expectations of culture, forced to head out to the well in the scorching heat to meet Jesus. And what does he offer her? The water of life. The Holy Spirit of God that changes us, that grows us, that brings us back to that place in the garden where we get to walk with God. It's time to unburden ourselves and to receive what is a gift for all who have faith. Why don't we spend a moment in prayer and just receive what God has to offer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great love. We just pray, come, Holy Spirit. Come, pour into us your love, your power, your purpose. Come, Lord Jesus. Water the seed of faith that lies within each of us. Unburden us of the culture and the law and the, all the things that we feel we ought to do. None of that is of you. Of you is love. Of you is acceptance as we are who we are. Of course, we know that you love us so much not to leave us as we are, but you love us as we are and what we will be. Come, Lord Jesus. 
Pour into this place your power, your spirit. Fill us with that hope and joy. Come, Lord Jesus.